Welcome to Wrestling for the Faith, a weekly podcast celebrating faith, family, and wrestling. And now, here's your host, Casey Cage. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Wrestling for the Faith. I am Casey Cage. We thank you for joining us today. I have a special guest with me, my old tag team partner, one of my, uh, another one who has been a long-time best friend of mine, um, and we will get to him here in just a second. I'm sure we're going to have some interesting conversations, uh, but I would like to read here to begin in Galatians chapter 2, verses uh, 20 and 21. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside or I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. It's very important for us to understand if we are truly born again, believers and followers of Jesus, he, and this is another element of the grace of God that a lot of people don't, don't latch on to and don't talk about too much, but, but, but Jesus did not just die so that we could live for him. Jesus did not just die so that, uh, we could go to church and, get involved in uh, routines and rituals and religion. No, what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary made it possible for the Holy Spirit of God to come and live inside every born-again believer. The Apostle Paul said, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and so... Being crucified with Christ and having Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit live inside of us, uh, he wants to walk with us and he wants to live on a daily basis with us, teaching us, leading us, and guiding us, showing us right and wrong, showing us which direction to go. God did not just uh, give us rules and routines to follow, he gave us the Holy Spirit to live in each and every true born-again believer, and and he leads us and guides us. Jesus said he would lead us and guide us in all truth, and the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, should not ever be looked over because it's 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 the the work of the Holy Spirit um, that is is performing the work in us while we're here on earth, and it is it is the power of the Holy Spirit that cleans us up from the inside out. Uh, the things that we used to do the sins that we used to be involved with, the lifestyle that we used to have, when you're truly saved, he comes in and he begins working on you. And it's the sanctification process. 
It's a sanctification process. He starts working on us and he cleans us up, conforming us into the image of Christ day by day. God's desire is for us to be growing more and more like Christ each and every day. And this, this Christian life is, in, in some ways, it can be hard because we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to the place where we get rid of our pride and we realize that there's nothing that I can do to save myself. There's, there was absolutely nothing that I could have done to earn God's salvation, to earn the grace of God. The things that we do, uh, as good as they may be, nothing earns us brownie points with God. He don't work on a labor for reward system. And there's so many out there who think, well, if I do this, then, then God will be happy with me and he will, he will in return do this for me. Or if I, if I do this, God will do this. That's not, that's not the way it works. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, coming to this earth, earth, living a perfect life, and dying on the cross of Calvary, being buried, resurrected, and ascending, and someday soon to return. Faith in that, his finished work, that is what gives us uh, the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, and that is the anchor for our faith. That is what our faith must be anchored in. Not our good works, not our routines and our rituals and, and, and all of the things that we do. On the other hand, uh, for anyone to say, well, if you've been saved, then you can live however you want to and you're all good. That is not biblical either. See, the thing about the Holy Spirit living in us is he is, he is changing us. Uh, there is no such thing as salvation without transformation. If you, if you repeated a prayer uh, or you cried out to Jesus, yet you did not have the desire to change, then you were not truly saved. And a lot of people don't like talking about that. But that is the truth and and the word of god the word of god bears this out none of us are perfect none of us will know it all none of us will be perfect until we are face to face with jesus and we are in our glorified body but it is never an excuse not to strive for that perfection but we cannot do it by our own fleshly works by our own education, our talents, abilities, our religious routines. This is things from the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. If we will submit to God, submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then he will begin cleaning us up, teaching us, leading us, and guiding us on a, on a daily basis. And, and that's the whole uh, that's the whole gist of these couple of verses that I just read. When, when you're truly born again, you are crucified 
with Christ. In God's eyes, you were hanging on that cross with Jesus. You were buried with him. And then you were resurrected to walk in a newness of life. And so many people get hung up and they think, okay, it's salvation by faith in what Jesus did and sanctification by my works. So I trust in what Jesus did and then I'm saved and now I can go out and do all these good works. Not necessarily. And that's where you either run into self-righteousness or where you run into uh, people uh, trying to do all of these good things and trying to live a Christ-like life but getting burned out because they're trying to do it in their own strength. Verse 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. That is a very, very important verse. If we could have done anything to save or sanctify ourselves, then Jesus would not have had to come and die. If we could have done anything to earn the grace of God, then Jesus would not have had to come and die. Therefore, the only thing that we do is place our faith exclusively in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when your faith is truly anchored there, then you will, you will feel and you will know the Holy Spirit working in you and cleaning you up and making you into a new creation in Christ Jesus. So that's a, that's a very, very important thing that we all need to understand. We need to understand that God loved us so much that he didn't, he didn't just give us rules and routines to try to live by in our own power. No, he gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us and to do the works for us. And just because you are not saved or sanctified by your good works does not mean that you will not have good works when you are resting in the finished work of Christ. When you're resting in the finished work of Christ, the Holy Spirit will be producing a righteous and holy life uh, in and through you. And that's, that's how he works. And that is the love and the grace of our God. He loved us so much that he didn't just, he didn't give us a bunch of rules and routines and say, hey, here's what I want you to do. Now you do this in your own, your own power, your own flesh. We could not do it. So he gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to lead us and guide us. And he, he, if we will submit to his leadership, he will produce a righteous and holy life in us. But just like James said, he said, he said, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee, okay? Here's the thing that, that a lot of people don't understand. They try to resist the devil without submitting to God. You can't resist the devil in your own flesh. Uh, the devil ain't afraid of you. The devil is afraid of God. And, 
and and the enemy is always going to be working overtime to try to burden us down and to try to to take our eyes off of Jesus. But if we submit to God, that's the first step. Submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee. But we can't resist the devil until we first submit to God. And it's just like Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, then take up his cross and follow me. So pride and self-righteousness, all of that has to come to an end. We have to come to the end of ourselves and then, then the Holy Spirit can really begin doing a work in our hearts and lives. So, with that said, I want to introduce you to my special guest today. As I already said, one of my best friends that I ever made in the wrestling business and my my tag team partner, my brother. Man, we have had a lot of miles together. A lot. We 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 have rode the roads. We have had each other's backs in and outside of the ring. Uh what what we've always had was was what brotherhood was all about. Yep. Um so ladies and gentlemen, joining me today, Mr. Brian Rivers, I, are you are you still all business? Or are you the last outlaw? Wait a minute now. I probably have been what, just a handful what, of people what, still calling me that. What what? Now we got to talk about this first. Now, how in the world? If if I'm if I have never officially retired, how are you gonna go and call yourself the last outlaw? I'm the real outlaw. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, there's a story behind the real outlaw and how that came to be, not just my criminal past. <laughs> I don't have a criminal past. But, uh, no, not just the, the persona itself. Uh, there was a guy who used to call himself outlaw, and uh, I showed up to the arena up there. I think it was in Crossville, Tennessee, maybe. And uh, my opponent wasn't there for any reason, but they got this guy calls himself the outlaw whatever, wanted a match with me. Well, apparently in his mind, he was going to beat me up, I guess I thought. Because mm. he's the real outlaw. He, or something, oh. I don't know. But anyways, we did a little match, and after just a few minutes of a pounding, I was the real outlaw. <laughs> okay, so... so <laughs> okay, so this is in recent years. Like, after well, after we this stopped paying. This maybe 2015, 14, 15, somewhere around in there. I was still wearing black overalls at that time, so... I'm still tagging with Hollywood uh, okay. here and there. Okay, so that was after after our American Outlaws days, and then when you and Hawthorne went into. Yeah. Well, I teamed with so many outlaws. With, you know, Josh Cross <laughs> yeah. was the modern day outlaws, and then we had you and me. We we were the uh, American Outlaws, but before that, we were blondes. Yeah, we I know. Blondes. I know. But if we had our way, I think we'd have been outlaws through and through. We always were, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. blonde hair didn't change a thing. Yeah, well, so how you been? I've been pretty good uh, raising kids. I can't complain. You know, we were just talking earlier. It's a blessing, you know, hearing them ask for daddy to say a prayer with them every night. Mm. That's, that's truly a blessing. That's So the kids, first and foremost, that's the, the pretty much our 
our whole world we hear the sound of little feet yeah. and dance to it just like alan jackson week to week you know i guarantee it it is it is amazing we were talking before we started recording it's amazing how how things can change and how your perspective can change and how the things that used to be the most important uh they don't they don't seem to have uh any standing anymore no. you know uh when it comes to when it comes to things like that the and family everything that was attached to it you know because i walked in here with a bag had a couple of bottles of water in it back in the day yeah. i had a little bit of something different but uh, <laughs> yeah that... switched to water and that's, i'm thankful for that like that... i said i swore off drinking the last time i ever drank you know drinking's not any good there's nothing positive ever comes out of it you might end up being an unexpected dad you might get a car wreck <laughs> yeah. just don't do it you're gonna fights Yes. Hugging the toilet. I already had yeah. a bad temper when I was younger, and I prayed about it for years, and then add alcohol to the mix, and that just makes it even shorter. So mm. <laughs> there's a lot of busted ceilings. Stuff gets damaged. I remember I was thinking on the way over here about that time we was all trying to get to a restroom. You know, and I, here I, let me go ahead and say this. Let me go ahead and pull a little bit of, uh, pull of Waylon Jennings here. We won't talk about the habits. <laughs> Just the wrestling and the man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, but, uh, yeah, I remember that time we walked in, and I had to go, and you, JP, and beat me to the urinal. And I seen that old boy's feet, and he was a, uh, we were at a restaurant, had a bathroom. That's what it was, gas station and a restaurant there. <laughs> he was taking his break, and he was hiding out in the bathroom, just holding up the stall, standing there, leaning up against the wall. And I remember taking that bathroom stall off the hinges and told him he better get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, I'm more nicer now. I probably said a little bit more back then. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that was one of the funny things. I, I remember, you know, of course, we were we were influenced uh, in in different ways, and I, I probably wouldn't, well, if it's, if it's in the middle of the night and, and it's dark and ain't nobody around and I got to go, then, yeah, I'm pulling over on the side of the road and, <laughs> And running in the woods, but you know, you, yeah, used to, used to. That's exactly <laughs> what we would do. We would, we'd be driving down the road if if one of us had to go. We'd say, "Hey, pull over. We need to inspect that sign." We'd pull over, and you see three or four of us jump out and running into the woods. Oh, well, I guess I better go ahead and tell the audience now. We have rickrolled you guys. I have requested that for the next hour and a half, you're going to hear. Casey Cage and Brian Rivers karaoke just like old times. Uh, you want to start out? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see what. We got. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. Oh man, we oh. did. We had we had some good times. We and that was one of the that was one of the things that we always liked to do. We tried to find karaoke in the towns that we yes. that we were in. I still sing a little bit here and there. Got a friend of mine right now over at Sail Creek, longtime friend. Uh, I think you may have met him once in the past. Uh, he's a uh, Getting him a porch built so we can set our karaoke stand up. Yeah. yeah. Karaoke singing in there. Uh, yeah, every yeah. once in a while, but no bars, though. Yeah, they no, I got hit on by too many ugly women. I had to stay out of the bars. Yeah, and ugly men, too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's no lie. <laughs> and ugly Poor whatever me. whatever else there was. Poor Dogs, brother cat. getting hit on up there by, we won't, I won't say what, what he called him, but yeah, Steven Tyler lookalike, but just a lot more. <laughs> I don't know. Lord, Lord. All right, so 
we're going to get into here in a little bit we're going to get into our time and uh everything but i i think it's interesting uh to to dig into a little bit of the the beginning and then uh you know just see where we go but uh you know i know a lot about your beginning but a lot of the people who listen may not so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and and uh start at the very beginning where uh what got you interested and what got you started i tell you i was interested from the get-go from the very first time i ever hit a television set i was probably three years old with my family week after week watching old tapes pay-per-views i remember dusty and flair was in the cage i would have been three years old three days before you yep, by the way yep, you sure <laughs> yep. always beating me to that point <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, I would always be glued. And uh, every home movie they had of me from 85, well, so I was born in 85, so probably 87 was that the one home movie. So I would have been turning three that year, so I was probably two. Mm-hmm. But uh, they had WWF on at the time, and I don't remember who was in the ring, but I was glued at that television set, and I went and asked my uncle. I said, uh, Uncle David, can I borrow your hat? He <laughs> said I took his hat, and it showed me on the home movie I Watched a guy do a stomp. Well, I threw his hat on the floor. Luckily, uh, he was watching me and he caught me, but I picked that leg up and I was fixing to stomp his hat. <laughs> hey, don't you stomp my hat. He uh, went over and grabbed it. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated by that and trucks. I know my papa was a truck driver, my uncles drove trucks, so they were always around. So wrestling and truck driving had always been. Just always went together, yeah. And singing, you know, my family, they had different things they were all interested in. We had truck drivers, singers, dancers, and wrestlers. I'm actually a second-generation wrestler. An uncle of mine wrestled and trained under J.D. Kyle, Captain Hook, as a lot of people knew him as. And mm-hmm. he wore you out with that thing. He busted my uncle's teeth out. And <laughs> after my uncle almost got his back broke, he gave it up, you know. he But he did train. He was there, had matches. And so I guess I'm second-generation. I might have lasted a little longer, but. Yeah, now you never got into the dancing part, right? Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> I did a little line dancing as a kid. I didn't get into it when I got older, but I was more into the singing part. But uh, yeah, wrestling, it really stood out to me. And ever since, you know, I could remember I had every magazine, I had every tape hand me down. My mm-hmm. uncle would get them from a guy he worked with. Hey, I got some more tapes, and he'd probably bring me 10 at a time. So there ain't no telling how long that accumulated at. Yeah. And uh, every pay-per-view, sometimes old WCW from 91, Saturday night, main event, all those good shows that just drew me in. And, uh, you know, because anything, if I would have probably grown up watching today's wrestling, I don't know if I'd have been so involved. I don't think I'd have been a fan. What I fell in love with, the nostalgia and the, the genres, like not so much the cartoon characters, but the actual even the bad guys i was a fan of the heels back then mm-hmm. rick flair you know i would be the one cheering rick flair mom and them all disgusted because he cheated somebody <laughs> yeah they're telling me to hush because they're tired of hearing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh yeah it's those were fun days all those tapes i wish i still had them and i noticed that you'd said on another podcast about vcrs with woody you know i love i can't find a vcr player anymore and i have tapes that i can't even watch i know yeah uh, so I guess they're just memories now. <laughs> surely, surely there's, uh, surely somebody will have a VCR. If any, if any of the listeners out there have a VCR and 
and you feel sorry for us old wrestlers that want to want to watch old tapes and and remember uh you know the days when we first started and and before that all the days that we grew up on and you know back when wrestling was wrestling uh you know if you feel sorry for us and you want to donate a vcr to the cause uh then shoot me a message and and uh and we'll give you an address to get that thing sent in. <laughs> yeah, that would be great because I know somebody said something about converting everything over to disc or finding somebody that does that. But I've got too many tapes for all that. Yeah, that'd be a lot of money, wouldn't we'll it? Just get us a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so, when did you start training? Uh, started training actually in two thousand and one, and in Eastridge, Tennessee, and. It would actually started probably sooner if uh, I guess who it came to be later on. I didn't know who Paulie was, but a friend of mine I went to high school with, his dad managed Terry Gordy when he was a fighting Irishman. And he mentioned about going and checking out some wrestling. We were all wrestling fans. So I was like, okay, let's go check it out. Now, neither one of us had thought anything about training, didn't even know how to get into it. Mm. We drove to Paulie's building, and he was shut down. He had belts for sale and stuff like that on the sign, so we were like, well, we don't know anywhere else. We drove around, and his dad was still living at the time, so we went to his dad's house, and he told us about UEW in East Ridge. And we went there and paid our admission. You know, wasn't a very big place, but, I, uh, you know, it was interesting for what it seemed. It almost like watching our version of ECW, almost like. Mm. And uh, somebody had brought up, hey, you guys are pretty good guys, big guys, you want to train? I said, who trains here? And I guess Rawhead Rex was training there. And I went to train under him when I very first started. So I guess that was in 2001. And uh, uh, the two twin brothers, their interests drew different. One wanted to go to military school. And the other, say, I... At the time, I didn't drive, so I was right. They were my rides. Oh, okay. You know, I was like, okay, you guys going to stick with it, <coughs> you know, from the beginning. And the other one, he didn't tell them about a medical issue. He had a little scar they found. Mm. asked him about it. And if you've got any kind of heart problems, stay away from the rest yeah. of the brain. Those bumps will take a toll on you. So, you know, here I was without a ride, and they thought I ducked out on them at the time. And uh, I actually didn't live very far from where I learned NECW gamblers, uh, in Saudi Daisy in Tennessee, with uh, yeah. him, Pez Wadley, Rick Mullins, uh, guys like that. And uh, I went up there one day and I was like, you know, I was training somewhere else. I want to finish training. And, you know, you're here close to the house. And uh, I think I trained all through 2002 and had my first match August 31st, 2002. And that was under, under you said gambler. Uh... Uh, Rick Mullins, Pistol Pez was there quite a bit, um, and then they'd bring guys in to work with us sometimes early in the day. Uh, we got to, you know, learn from, you know, a lot of those guys. I know with Pez, you know, Pez ran BWA down in Georgia. Uh -huh. I didn't get to work for him until Rocky King had took over later on because Pez passed, but uh, I never did get on those. I were, Gamble was trying to get me on those, and something didn't happen. Ducks didn't line up in a row at the time. But, right. But yeah, but, and you know, with Pez, if you didn't do something right, you know, he was, wasn't nice by any means, you know, you're <laughs> training, you're there for a reason, right. you're there to, to, you know, be thick skinned or thin skinned pretty much. He, you don't know what you're doing, do it again. You might've thought you did something extremely well. He's going to, 
you know, break that ego right out the gate. Well, and that's, do it again. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing though. You know, having that having that old school book, and and you know, it seems to be a common theme. And maybe maybe it's just because I'm a stickler for it, but uh, you know, talking about training these last couple of podcasts with Woody and then with Johnny and now with you, uh, it's the these older guys. Now I ain't gonna speak for all of them, but. <clears throat> But most of these older guys, they wasn't buttholes just because they wanted to be buttholes. Mm-hmm. They they loved and had passion for the sport. Yes. And and so they wanted to make sure that if you're coming in and my name is gonna be riding on you everywhere you go, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna be going to this town and that town, this promotion, that promotion, and saying, "Oh, I was I was trained by by the gambler. I was trained by Pistol Pez, or I was trained by Casey Cage, or Brian Rivers, or whoever." Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a thing of, you know, if I'm gonna put my name on somebody, mm-hmm. they better know how to work. They better know their stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, go ahead. So. Uh, yep, and uh, I did that. Uh, I think they ran until probably early part of 2003. And uh, then I was working for Gene Johnson everywhere I got, and I think you and I had met at uh, Angus, uh, what was the name? I can't remember the name of his company that he ran now after all these years, but I just know we were at Angus. I know, yeah, <laughs> I, I, do, I do remember that. Now, yeah. was that when he was in East Ridge or no, Trenton? This, this was Dunlap. Or Dunlap, yes. okay, okay. You and uh, Matt uh, Jordan. Okay. There were, uh, prod- was before the Prodigal Sons, I believe. Y'all were wearing, y'all had the matching blue pajama pants on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we would have been called the Prodigal Sons at that time. I, I'm not sure. There were some times that we had a name, sometimes we didn't. I don't yeah. know. But, but yeah. So, okay. So, Dunlap. I remember, I remember. So, that was the first time we met. Yeah, I think that's whenever you and I really got to know each other because you, you were an avid hunter. So was I. Yeah. We liked to wear camo. And we was both finding a bottle to spit in while we was having to stand out there while somebody was doing something out and had all the wrestlers out there. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that was probably, I don't remember the year, probably maybe 2004 or five. I think it was, because I remember that's when Bowman was running Dayton at yep. that time. So, and we all came to be there with the CWF. Some of the best years, most fun yeah, years I've ever had. Times. Yeah, And things you look forward to. But that was before the curse actually yeah. happened. <laughs> Yeah, so, <clears throat> so you uh, you said you worked. Uh, how long did Gambler keep that promotion going? I think until two thousand and three. Okay. Uh, it was very short lived after that. Him, he had a lot of issues with the guy that owned the building. There was no heat and air there. It was hard to keep the place cooled. Uh-huh. Fans would burn up, and the only time I ever remember it being fully max capacity is when they brought Buff Bagwell to Saturday Day, mm. and. I think, you know, that was probably one of the best, like I said, draws that they had at that time. And that was right after the WCW thing had stopped off. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, that was a, big, a nice building. It's for sale now. You know, somebody told me about it the other day, and I was like, well, I wouldn't buy it. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want those problems. And plus, somebody's going to have to pay to get Central Heat and Air put in that thing, you know, if you're going to have any kind of wrestling, you know, yeah. whatsoever. So you went from there, you was working for Gene. Now, Gene, was he running Dunlap all the time, or was he just running spot shows? He ran Dayton 
at that time quite okay. a bit. I know it was between him and Chief Little Lynn, they'd run Dayton. And uh, and then I went to work for Chief Little Lynn pretty regular for a while in Eton at the old uh, community center building. Uh, I think they've tore it down now, but it was an old building. But, uh, man, you didn't know if that ring was going to go through the floor or what, but it held up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those were learning experiences. I got to learn from veterans like Cody Gunn. You know, gave me my first chair shot, and <laughs> he taught me a real lesson that day. And you know, I got it loud and clear, and I, I began to understand. You know, there's more work involved than what meets the eye. And yeah. here I was coming in, kid thought I was being a cocky heel, but mm. um, yeah, I, you know, like I said, you know, you learn stuff along the way, and you thank those guys, and they became a brother later on. And, and you know why I did that, don't you? I, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I was maybe 16, 17 years old. You know, young. You know, you all have to learn our lesson and go on, but right. not many lessons get taught anymore, and not a lot of people receive those lessons very much. So I think that's what's wrong today. Yeah. Nowadays, you got dancers, you got people that have to go in a routine, and I miss the days when you didn't talk to your opponent. You just went out there and you could just go on the fly, catch us, catch can wrestling, and mm-hmm. make for some good matches if people know what they're doing. And I don't think a lot of guys know what they're doing anymore. Yeah. Well, there's there's always been a place for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, because, you know, technically, that's what we do. Yeah. But uh, th- there, was, there was also the professional wrestling aspect of it that uh, that's not... I don't know how to say it. it. It's not emphasized as much anymore, hmm. and and with with today's generation, and you know, there's a lot of them out there who can do some awesome athletic stuff, uh, and, and I mean, they they can do some amazing stuff, but there's, you know, like you were just talking about, if if a lot of a lot of them, if they had to. Uh, you know, have separate locker rooms, or if they had to uh, not be able to talk, uh, you know, like we, like we, we have been guilty of doing a couple of times. You know, going to a town and and somebody coming up to us and say, okay, uh, when we get out there, uh, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and you know, we just shake our heads and say, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, we did. That's a true story. And then when they get out there, they get a rude awakening. But I mean, if it's okay to to have a little bit of a map, but the the true working is when you can go out and you listen to those people. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a if you've got a match put together. And you're just going out there and bam, 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 remembering your next spot. Oh, I've got to remember this and this and this and this and this. That's taking your focus off of what those people are saying. Mm-hmm. And there's so many matches that you watch now that does not even involve the fans. It, it does not even uh, captivate the fans. The fans can, can be... Uh, totally distant from the match Mm -hmm. but the guys you know they're doing their thing and they just think that everything that they're doing is the greatest thing since sliced bread Mm -hmm. and and i'm not trying to knock 
everybody. This is not everybody. And and it's not saying that those guys don't do some awesome things. But if if you're going in there and laying something out to where you are you're totally focused on your next spot and you're not focused on listening to the people and and selling which is not oh, something that people, yeah, uh, you know, letting something register, letting that baby face get sympathy, letting, you know, seeing the facial expressions and, mm-hmm. and all this. There's so much today where it's, you know, oh, boom, 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 boom. No, don't sell that. No, boom, 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 boom. You know, you don't sell anything. You just keep hitting each other. You keep running spots. You keep flipping and flopping and, and, and the art yeah. And I'm I'm not saying that that's not a form of art, but the art of professional wrestling is 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 lost in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be based on emotion, facial expressions, your body language, everything is it, it excludes emotion. And if you don't have that, there's no connection between you and those people that paid to get in there. Yeah. And that's just like something Regal said one time that stuck out. William Regal, he said, you know, there's going to be some guy. He's going to bring his kids here, not going to be a bit interested in wrestling whatsoever. It's our job not to just entertain those kids, but to make him believe. Yeah. And if we're not doing that, there's something wrong. And there's a lot of things about guys striking. Like you can see it a mile long, and it's so slow-mo, they think they're going quick, and there's no daylight whatsoever. Super light. And I'm just like, you know, that doesn't tell anybody anything right now other than he can't throw anything effective. Yeah. And I see that too often than not. Guys with, you know, the, the look that they are looking for out there that I, to hire you. But if you don't have a little bit of the package, you know, they'll they'll train you. But if you don't have something that catches their eye, you know, they might just look over you. There's too many people out there nowadays. I mean, yeah. There's very few companies. And, I, and I, I'm sure uh, here in a little bit we'll get to some of our time uh, with WWE, but you, you mentioned Regal. And while I've got this on my mind, <clears throat> I remember uh, one of the things that that he taught us that I had never thought about, and it, you know, thinking back at that moment, you know, we'd been in for several years, mm-hmm. uh, but at that, when he said this, it, it clicked. You see, so many guys, they will shoot somebody off the ropes and then they'll drop down. Mm-hmm. You know, you had control. Wow. Yeah, and that's exactly that. That reminded me of what he said. Uh, well, that it goes along with what Tom Pritchard said to me a long time ago. Because when I was raw and green, you know, just a few years in, you know, if you get too like comfortable with wrestling somewhere, you become what you're wrestling. If there's nobody in that locker room that's on a Nashville level, or yeah. I'll compare it to because it was a whole different world when you took me to Nashville for the first time. Yeah. And I saw how everything was, and we'll get into that with all the, the spots. Short, stiff, and spotty Nashville TV days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll get into that. But, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting, you know, how things, like we said, evolved and things changed so much, and wrestling has done that. I yeah. mean, it, uh, it would make a lot of people roll over in the grave stuff that happens now. Now, if you can do the... The spot, 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 and you can go out there and have a good match, and you slow it down and show emotion. Yeah, I mean, bravo. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, people succumb to exhaustion before they get that emotion out that they're wanting to put out there. And right. it's, it's easy to see. And, you know, I remember several times during our time tagging together, 
uh, we would work with with these guys, um, and and they were they were used to doing calling every single thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there were several different occasions that I can remember uh, of of people. You know, they come to us and. Uh, there, there were still some respectful ones, uh, us being the vets in a lot of, of occasions, mm-hmm. you know, there were respectful ones, uh, Hey guys, what would you like to do? Or, you know, do you have anything special or, mm-hmm. you know, and if we would say something like walk and talk, you know, I remember a few different times that there was, there was guys said, well, I've never actually done that, but we would go out and we would work and have a match. Mm-hmm. And more times than once, we got back to that locker room and, and the guys were like, thank you so much. That was so awesome. I have never done that, but that was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was just because we went out, we felt the emotion, we listened to the people. Yeah. We, we, and we gave, we gave the people a story mm-hmm. instead of, Instead of just a, a, I feel like I'm I'm downing everybody. I'm I'm not really. That's not really my no, intention. No, that's but. not what we're trying to do. I mean, but it is. We're just pointing out the differences, and that's that's mainly what today's uh, subject is: is the difference in in a lot of things, and you know, not just you know when you started talking and uh, you know quoting the scripture a little while ago. I think I was meant to hear that too. You know, we, we all get complacent, and sometimes. You know, we need to see the big picture, and yeah. even you know, like I said, with wrestling itself, there's a big picture, and a lot of people aren't getting it. And like I said, we're not down in it. We hope we all get better. I mean, we're not the best. We're not saying we are, but we're just trying to lend a helping hand. I mean, you've got to be adversable, especially if you're gonna be a champion. As I like to be a little hard on champions out there, if you're gonna be a champion, you got to be able to work with anyone, adapt to any style. And I mean, one of my favorite guys to watch. I mean, a lot of people would probably say some of his stuff was boring, but no, watch Hennig and Nick Bonkwinkle. Oh, Nick Bonkwinkle can, he, he can do his stuff. And, uh, you know, my favorites, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Nick Bonkwinkle, mm-hmm. you know, guys like that, they could go later on with the character wise. You had Flair, just that cocky, arrogant, rich guy that everybody wanted to get to. And Sting, I guess he would have been the arch rival, I mm-hmm. guess, at that time. You know, my favorite stuff from that, that era, but. You know, it's it's a different world wrestling nowadays. You know, guys want to to you know map out everything to the point where they lose that raw emotion that people can connect with. And like I said, there's some good ones out there, and some of them are getting jobs left and right out there. And I'm glad to see that. But like I said, uh, you know, hopefully maybe this year, about the summer of this year, we'll have somebody somewhere else people can get a job at. Right. But you know, I. I I remember uh, when I was training, one of the first things, uh, once I actually got in my training, but one of the first things that I was taught uh, was facial expressions. Like you mentioned a minute ago, emotion, facial expressions, body language, uh, you know, uh, taking a hip toss, Mm -hmm. you know, having that face up, looking out at those people, you know, oh, you know, and... And the everything that you do make it mean something. Less is more. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and really give the people a story. Give them something to follow. And I know, you know, I went through my phase, uh, 
where I tried to be a spot monkey and but I know what it what usually ends up happening is when you've got every little thing mapped out, you get out there and like you mentioned a minute ago, you lose your raw emotion because you're you're thinking about your next move. Yeah. Oh, I gotta remember what's my next move, my next move, my next move. Yep. You know, and and very rarely is it slowed down to, you know, uh, a work a hold, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and 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 building the anticipation and 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 letting letting the crowd get behind the people. It's yep. you know. Yeah, that's what's missing, and I've seen people uh, miss their cue and miss their spot on that. And lose a job opportunity, uh, raw in Atlanta. I, they were looking at a guy, million dollar look, six pack abs, young kid, 19, 20 years old. And uh, the only thing he didn't do is he didn't sell. He uh-huh. was looking down at the map the whole time. The hair was keeping his face covered up. And Regals pulled people, random people around that ring. And that guy's job is to make them believe. Yeah. And he went around to every one of them. Did you believe anything? Nope. Right. It was unanimous. And that's what I'm saying. Our emotion is what catches their attention. You might have a million-dollar body, six-pack abs, got it going on, but if the work ethic ain't there, they might just pass you by. And that, a lot of people can't handle that. You know, like I said, just you know, be a sponge. Learn everything you can. Don't think you know it all. Mm-hmm. Just because you can call everything and map it out, that doesn't mean you're the end-all, be-all. There's somebody out there that can lend a helping hand, and we're out there. I've heard people say that people don't want to help anybody. There's veterans out there. They don't want to lose their spot. Look, I'm still going, you know, after 18 years, uh, but in no way, shape, form, or fashion am I trying to hold anybody's way up. I'm trying to help anybody I can, and, uh, you know, that's the way we've got to be at this point. Well, you, you've got to have, and that's that's my passion. Even with, you know, uh, that's why I love uh, the Bible studies that that we do is, you know, I get to sit and teach and and break down the word of God and and help uh you know ask and answer questions and try to help to teach uh others the truth of the word of God and it, it's the same I have the same passion for wrestling now uh I don't do it for a living anymore I don't have the desire to do it for a living anymore but when I when I am around or through this podcast or you know if I have young guys ask me for advice I have that passion to teach I love to teach I love to pass down knowledge and maybe that's uh maybe that's some of that Ted Allen that rubbed off on me but you know uh he was a great teacher to us and and so it was I, I have a passion to teach and I I don't ever want to leave the sport that I loved uh without handing down knowledge Mm -hmm. and I mean there's there's some guys out there who'll say I y'all bunch of nobodies I ain't listening to y'all and that's fine if that's your opinion but we can all learn from everybody and there's so many uh me and me and Johnny was talking last week about hidden gems in this area Mm -hmm. there's there's hidden gems all over who may not have had the biggest name, may not have been the world champion, may not have got uh, to be the top guy, but they have experience. They learned from a lot of guys Mm -hmm. who knew what they were talking about, 
and they are able to pass down knowledge. But like in so many areas of life now, you can't tell anybody. You you can't tell people anything. Mm-hmm. They they there's so many know it alls out there. Yeah, you can always tell a pro wrestler, but you can't tell them much. <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> there is a lot of hidden gems. Like I watch more talent nowadays. I'll just I'll just tune into an event and watch it. OVWs. I watch some of their stuff. I like what they're doing up there. Um, sometimes I'll pop in, still watch SOM, see what's going on. Um, I've, uh, I like to watch wrestling, see how guys are, if they're improving. And there's some guys out there that's got the look, but if they just get that it factor and get everything lined up, there's nothing that can hold them back. Mm-hmm. But uh, I see a lot of times people are just in there just to survive, it seems. They don't know which way to go unless somebody's telling them where to go. Right. And after about three to five years, uh, you know, you could tell something when that light bulb flips and when it goes off for somebody, then you could say, you got it, kid. But uh, there's some that just fell short of that, but I think eventually with time. Like I said, I like to watch a lot of talent now and see how they're improving, progressing, and I'll help anybody. I don't, I'm not bashful or ashamed at, at all. If you need help, we're here. Like I said, if you think we're nobody, that's fine too, you know. I am a nobody, but but I, 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 I'm a I'm a nobody who who has been taught uh, by some great people who know what they're talking about, and you know there's knowledge to be handed down. There's so many people out there who you can learn from, and being always and this goes not just for wrestling but every area of life. If you remain teachable you can always grow yep but the moment that you refuse to be teachable you may as well shut it down mm-hmm. because you have stopped your learning you have stopped your growth and you you have gone as far as you're ever going to go yeah i had a guy come up to me he'd been in it probably just about as long as me and i don't know if we'd ever conversed i don't know how long he thought i'd been in but I had to do this match a certain type of way. They wanted it for the TV program. And he came over giving me advice or something. And, you know, I just went, okay, all right, thank you. And that guy said to my left, who's he think he is coming over and talking to you like that? I said, he's probably right. He just didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't bother <laughs> to sit there and try to correct him because that just makes for other unwanted conversations. Yeah. You know, it's a little longer. But, you know, like... Like I said, uh, that reminded me of Ted. Remember the very first time I was going to work for Ted, and you brought me down to Tuscaloosa. And oh, that was a good. That was a good time. Trying to correct somebody, uh, I, he thought he heard something different. I was. He called something he wanted you and I to do, and it was the only time that NWA Tennessee title was ever dropped in a different state. It's probably <laughs> on Wikipedia. I noticed. They <laughs> <laughs> actually added your second reign on there. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, how about that? But yeah, we were uh, we had this stuff all laid out like well, well, coincidentally, what you and I wanted to do because that one time we dabbled in that, and we weren't just talking down to anybody because we've we've experienced it. We've tried to get in there and call all that kind of stuff, and if you could do it with emotion, great. But at one time we tried it, and you know, most of the time we had to make it work because we were on that TV mentality. Everything yeah. was time limited out, and you better get what you're getting in quick and get out of there. And uh, 
but yeah, we were we came up with something, and we were going to do a two-day event for Ted, and uh, he came up to us, just said something completely different from what we thought, and uh, he had so many so many voices going on. That locker room was pretty small, and everybody's talking, and I was like, well, that's better than what Casey and I came up with, and I don't think he heard that part. <laughs> I remember. I said, I like that a lot better, and I said, what we came up with was, blah, 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 blah. I, was, I started telling him what you and I came up with. <laughs> He said, no, that's not what I want. I want you to do what I said. Yeah. And I said, well, and he, by this time he done walked off. Yeah. And I was going to say, but, but I wasn't arguing with you. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to argue with you. I was trying to tell you thank you because your idea was better. <laughs> I had to explain that later, but, you know, that was fun times. I wouldn't trade that for nothing. Oh, man, I, I loved fun. him. We had a lot of good times. Made good that, money that weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was good money, good road trip. A lot of fun, man. We won't mention the promoter's name. I remember he helped us out with a booking one time, and we we drove all the way down, deep down in Alabama, and uh, the guy's pay didn't add up to what Ted might have said he was going to give us. And I remember that guy locking himself in, not in uh, one room but two because yeah. <laughs> we were like, "This door is locked. I can't get to his office." I said, "We're going to kick this one down too." <laughs> We didn't kick down any doors, but I remember Ted, you know, he called and said, I'm sorry about that. You know, he that's the way he is. That man would draw 400 people on a bad night and claim he was broke, didn't make anything. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of carnies out there. Well, as you talk about that, you remember a, a, a time in uh, Middle Tennessee, maybe Cookville, when uh, we had went over and worked. And, uh, you know, during intermission, we had to go out and sell our heel gimmicks and our baby face gimmicks. <laughs> I had never experienced that uh, in my life. But I was like, okay, are they letting us go out here and sell our gimmicks? I said, this is completely against anything you and I had trained for. Oh, man. Let's go make money. I, I remember I remember sitting back there, and they took two different intermissions. Yes. They took a heel intermission and a baby face intermission. Yeah. They, I remember, yes, yes, I remember we're sitting in the locker room, and I don't know if, was that the first time we were there? I, I can't remember. It may have been, because I was like, these guys, no, I think I've been there before with Jerry. I got another funny story about those guys, but uh, yeah, that was crazy. I, I remember like, hey, we got an opportunity to go out here and make money. Well, we're sitting there, and the guy, the, the promoter, or ring announcer, whoever it is, he gets on the he gets on the mic and he says, "Okay, we're gonna go to uh, intermission, and uh, and uh, all the heels are gonna be out here selling their heel gimmicks." And I, I remember looking at you, and I was like, "What? What in the that. what?" Just said that out in front of the people on the mic, and then the next intermission that came up. All right, now we're going to have our baby faces out here selling our baby face gimmicks. I was like, "Oh my lord, what are we into?" And then I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's the same night that uh, we get done, and the promoter tries to tell us, "Hey guys, no, I, I booked y'all. This was a benefit show. Y'all agreed to it." I said, "No, no, no, no. We, we." He tried to pull that more often than not. I remember having to wait around, and I went and hid one night. I was like, I know he's hid right now. Let's go hide. And I went and hid somewhere and waited until he popped back out, and I walked up behind him, and I said, hey. <laughs> he looked over at me and just gave me that sigh like he always did. Well, I remember that. Uh, I remember that. He, he was trying to tell us. After he tried to do the whole benefit show thing, and we was like, listen, 
you know, if it was a benefit and you would have told us and we were in the area, it, it, it might not have been a problem. We would have been able to, to, to do some uh, gimmick sales and, and probably, you know, still make it. But you didn't tell us his benefit show. You guaranteed us this. And he, then he starts, well, I, I don't have, he's pulling a little bit out of it. And he's like, I, I ain't got all that. I, I've just got this much. I've just got enough. And then was it his wife come over from the concessions or something? We did great, baby. 1900 at the game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he, he said, <sighs> and that wallet opened up a little bit wider and he yeah. pulled all that money you said he didn't have right out of that wallet. Oh, man. But so, yeah. yeah, watch watch for uh, watch for shady promoters, too. And that was also the promotion for the first time I remember. If anybody's going to bleed tonight, here's blood packets. Uh, and I said, first of all, we don't use those. I said, you have people here that use those? Well, we got guys who use them all the time. And I was like, where are we at? What? This is a all. twilight zone. We what didn't is stay it? around very long. But I remember that one night that stood out the most was when they were tied in with the AWA at the time. And all that was was just a jip to make money. They sent some $500 world champion that they had at the time down and he didn't uh he did everything didn't work out the way they planned so they didn't keep that awa very long they're smart enough to get out of that but it was the night every match was inside a steel cage oh i remember this one. triple threat yeah. i had the title and it was against jt hot i believe his name was and you and we did a match and that guy got busted open no blood packets involved no folks. He bled like a stuck pig all over that. And it was a vinyl canvas. Yes. Japanese slick mat. Yeah. So you're already slipping and sliding up a little bit of water gone on that. Now you got to add about a gallon of blood. He had to lose at least a gallon of blood. There's no way. Oh, man. It was everywhere. It got in our hair. It got in our clothes. And I remember we had so much hatred from the crowd that night that we had to be escorted to the showers. Without being stabbed. Yeah, that was that was that was some good times. That was some good stuff. Yeah, right I remember at the time you were NWA Tennessee champ, and I had the AWA Tennessee title, and we had it there at the hotel there. It was setting up <laughs> people coming by. Hey, look at what we got. Well, you couldn't tell us nothing back then at that time. Yeah, yeah, we were the we were the what is it? Old Barney Fife says we were the cats. <laughs> the cat's meow. That's what we, that's what we were. But uh, and if you try to tell us different, you can nip it in the bud. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, you know, we were we were doing a lot of traveling together during that time, and that's even before we started tagging. Mm-hmm. When we when we first and you know we had good matches NWA top rope uh, you know we worked together up there against each other we we had those matches uh, for that promotion you just mentioned with that bloodbath man I'd forgot about that thing until you started talking that was uh, one more I got one more story about that guy before we move on because. He wanted somebody to come in at one time when they were hot, heavy in AWA. He want, he said, I want to bring in somebody to wrestle you, our champion. And I said, well, what do you got in mind about bringing somebody in? And he said, I said, uh, you know, anywhere? He said, yeah. I said, you going to cover it? He said, yeah. I said, uh, there's a guy named Titan out in Texas, big seven-foot guy. I said, I was just talking to him not too long ago about coming up. 
He said he charged about 300. That's trans and everything else. <gasps> he just got this real shocked look on his face. I know they couldn't see what I did. He got this real shocked look on his face. Turned white as a sheet and looked like he was about to fall over. He said, well, you're the champ. Like I was going to pay. <laughs> We didn't have that conversation anymore. I was like, I know this guy, he's the promoter that went and ran and hid from us and would always claim it was a benefit. He's a nice guy, but he had a gambling problem, and when you got somebody that's running shows, that was his, yeah. that was the way he was getting his income coming in. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was good times, but, yeah. Yeah, yep. bloodbath. Yeah, that's that's probably the highlight of that whole thing, just sticking out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, no, we so you know we traveled. We started traveling together quite a bit during that time. Uh, it, 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 we kind of hit it off from the very beginning and just became, you know, road buddies. Yeah, uh, two old country boys because we we both <clears> had different accents back then. And whenever you know they were molding us and shaping us, uh, we had to change the way we talked, the way we walked, everything, the whole nine yards. So. I've probably got less country in my slang nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, let's talk about EWP for a little bit. We we end up in Morristown. We've got uh, and and okay, who's our who's our normal cars back our normal then? Normal car loads back then was Chris Silver's, JP Magnum, you and me. And then every once in a while, I think somebody else would sit in. I don't know, but they weren't very. That was our main core right yeah. there. But uh, yeah, and we had our driver. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we would, you know, we would we would make those shots. We started going up Morristown, and uh, and you know we had Jay West managing us, and we were both yeah. singles, and so we're we're both working singles, but then. Uh, I don't know why they did it, but I'm glad they did do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started, they started doing the. Uh, they had us in a tag match one night, and they just said, "Well, you know, both of these guys managed by Jay West, and and tonight they're going to be tagging against so and so, and blah blah blah." Yeah. And uh, but that match, the I think that's the night that you said you got violated by a walking flamingo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That 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 match right there was when I I think that was the first time we'd ever tagged. It may have been. I remember them preluding up to it, and I know I think the the picture I was talking about earlier, me with the shorter hair. I think that might have been actually before. So I think we had tagged then, and then this was our second time tagging, but it was a one-off again. We didn't think there was anything going to jail right. them because we didn't know what they were doing. But uh, that's when you first dyed the hair blonde and that light bulb had went off. Well, I guess we need to, I guess we need to kind of back up and tell a little bit of the story on that because yeah. that's going to lead into our whole, uh, our whole uh, next phase here. So yeah. <clears throat> uh, it was somewhere toward the end of 2009 we'd went up uh, for a Dutch Mantel seminar. What was it, 2009 or early 2010? Uh, I want to say probably, I don't know, it might have been nine, I think, at the time, because that's when we first met Josephus there. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, keep uh, keep his family 
in your thoughts and prayers. He just passed away, and I didn't get to get be around Josephus much, but you know he he was uh, the times that I were around was around him. He was he was very intelligent. Yes, you know and uh, soft spoken. Yeah, and a, giant, a sponge for the business. Mm-hmm. But uh, but anyway, so we go up and we're uh, Dutch is doing this uh, seminar. It was before a, a saw TV taping at the fairgrounds in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So we're at this uh, seminar. We do the seminar, and, and I remember at the end of it, Dutch uh, pulls me out into the chairs, and and he's sitting there talking to me, and he's giving me tips, giving me advice, and and he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, do something different. Be from somewhere different. Where are you from? I said, Cleveland, Tennessee. He said, don't be from Cleveland, Tennessee. Be from, I don't know, be from somewhere else. He said, you ever heard of a oil trough, Texas? I said, your entrance. He said, is there really a place? Can you find it on the map? I said, huh. Okay, so that was that was just a tip for me. Well, then, then, there was, uh, then he said, and uh, bleach your hair blonde. And, you know, immediately me, I'm like, oh, I don't know, that's not for me. And I'll never forget. And this goes back to what we were saying a minute ago about being teachable and listening to guys who have been around uh, and, and taking advice and, and taking in what they say because it, it was, I'll never forget. I was like, I don't know, that, that bleaching my hair thing, that's not for me. And Dutch looked at me and he said, fine, I ain't never been nowhere, don't take my advice. <laughs> and I mean, it just, it clicked with me, it hit me and I was like, you know what? I came here to a seminar mm-hmm. to get knowledge from one of the great veterans. I need to I need to be listening to what he says. So anyway, uh, so I, I end up going Going home and I had probably within a couple of days bleaching my hair blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, my hair, you know, is jet black, so it was orange the first time. Uh, but I mean, you know, start going into this whole character, uh, building this new character uh, from Emerald City, Florida, blonde hair, blah blah blah. So uh, we've got Dutch originally to thank for my blonde hair mm-hmm. and and then I thank somebody else to thank for your blonde hair which we'll get to yeah that's what I was that's what I was yeah. about to say but so so we're in Morristown we're we're two singles guys best friends road buddies but we're thrown together as tag team not done that much uh but man I remember that night it just gelled mm-hmm. it clicked and I mean everything just meshed and it was that it was that match where I said, "We've got something here." Yeah. And uh, so I remember, uh, I don't remember where we were going, but we were riding with Chase Stevens, and I, you know, I had already done the blonde hair, and you still had yours, the natural color. Yep. And I remember we're talking about. Uh, do you remember the exact conversation? Uh, I believe he was talking about, you know, becoming that character. 
become that character from the time you get in the car to the time you get home and that's when we learned a lot about yeah. things we'd never been you know previous to before so now we're knowing about what these guys are doing how they're doing it and why and uh, I think we were on that subject and he just said Brian you know there's too many Randy Orton's out there which I had the haircut short always had uh you know, whether I'm in the ring or out of the ring, you saw me with short hair. Yeah. And I didn't ever think about growing it out. Every time I would, it'd be too thick. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, now it's growing out and the beard is too. We'll see how it goes, you know. But, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I couldn't really grow facial hair that well when I was younger. Um, I had too much Native American blood in me from both sides. And <laughs> it takes a while to grow this thing out. And, uh, so I really didn't have that going for me, the facial hair, to really help out. I just could grow the little sideburns and little connectors. That's about <laughs> it. And then, uh, I think when he said that, you know, he said, there's too many Randy Orton's out there. you got to have a look that stands out. You know, you got everything else going. you just got to get that. And I, I got thinking about it. I was like, okay, I need to try something different because I've always done the same thing, and it's got me in the same place. Yeah. I need to do something different. That's when I first started letting it grow out, I think. And uh, I think from that time, our days there, when I let it start growing out, and then up in times into our Nashville stage, I think it had grown out enough where I could start dyeing it. And, uh, yeah, I had it different colors, but... <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that, you know, uh, I, I've never talked too much about it. Now, you know, privately talking to people and giving advice I have, but but publicly I've never, I've I've not talked too much about it, but when when we were uh when we were on the road with chase you know we started learning a lot about character development mm -hmm. living the gimmick being something special looking the part uh and 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 that whole thing you know so it's kind of like okay guys you can work now you got to find something mm -hmm that sets you apart. You got to find something that, that makes you different, that makes you stand out. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's there at Dutch. And then, uh, in the, the times of traveling with chase, that's where, you know, I give the most credit of, of a lot of that character development because I had become, uh, a pretty decent wrestler, mm -hmm. but the, there was something missing from the package. Yeah. And I think it was during our time uh, in Nashville and 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 staying with Chase and riding with Chase and, and picking his brain and, and getting his knowledge much like we did with Ted, um, you know, that a lot of that character development was built and we started learning to put the total package together, yeah. you know. Uh, so... So you bleach your hair blonde, and then we go, uh, and we're we're at this time working for Bert in Nashville. Yeah, I think we had went and did like a match for Keith Hart when he was running in Nyota, and that building they still have the old gun holes from the Civil War standing right beside. Yeah. It, I think, but I think that I was, do, I remember this. I, I first died it I think at that point, and then it just kept growing and growing, and then. I remember we didn't even come up with a name. I think we were just going out there as Casey Cage and Brown Rivers. Every time, you know, Bert would say, you're going to be facing so-and-so, and, -so, and he, he would describe me to the guy and say, he's just a southern bad butt. So 
pretty much uh, I had to, uh, I guess, fit that part. And then he just called us the Fabulous Blondes one night. Yeah. Like, Fabulous Blondes. We've already been Fabulous Blondes. I guess we're the Fabulous Blondes part two. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that that was another thing. And we've got to give credit where credit's due. You know, yeah. Bert, Bert uh, once he saw that package uh, and started calling us the Fabulous Blondes, you know, uh, man, we were traveling around and working for him all over the place. And, yeah. and he was he was really helping us get out there mm-hmm. um and he was really really pushing us to the moon uh you know putting us in contact with other promoters and and you know so well we were chasing that neon rainbow and living the honky tonk dream yeah. as we called it back then and i think if we would have just straight away and kept our mind on the prize there was nothing we couldn't have accomplished back then right but, uh, you know, yeah, I guess we got to give credit to him. At least you didn't become the bear man, Casey Cage. <laughs> <laughs> funny story on that. I mean, we were riding up to Illinois and went up there to do a show and, uh, right near Metropolis, I guess, where the big Superman stands outside there. And uh, there was a, looked like what to be a bear laying on the side of the road. Casey said, that bear over there. <laughs> and Bert repeated that back to him in the same accent Casey had said it yeah. in the whole ride. Oh man! Bear over the bear That's, man. You were the bear man that night. The bear man, and I, I'll tell you another thing. And this was actually uh, before this run. You know, I had I had worked uh, in Nashville for Bert in two thousand five, two thousand six, and um, I was I was riding with him. We were uh, headed back from a show one night and. And I, he had it on a country music station. And I was singing, mm-hmm. and he said, "I didn't know you could sing." That's why I, I just, I just sang. I, I said, "I don't know how good you think it is." He said, "He said that's not the point." He said, "I think it's good." He said, "But what about this? You can be the ultimate entertainer, Casey Cage." So he gave me this gimmick, and basically it was a Jeff Jarrett WWF ripoff where yeah. I was an aspiring country music artist. So he starts doing doing these vignettes on TV where I'm I'm going up and and I'm singing these country songs yeah. and and butchering them. I remember a time. So I think there was a time after we had met, and I think we'd seen each other a few times, you know, up there in Dunlap. And then the next time I'd seen you, there you was on TV. You were singing. He stopped loving her today. And he was <laughs> doing pausing, and you'd like you were forgetting the words, and then you'd remember, and you would every time you, he stopped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that and up. and Bert was sitting there producing those, and so you know when I first started, I remember when I first started singing, he's like, no, 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 no. I don't. I want you to butcher it. We're in Nashville. This is this is Nashville. You're gonna make these people mad. You're a heel. Butcher these songs. And at first, I was like. Man, but I, I I can sing pretty good. Why? But all into character development and yep. learning the process, you know. So you know he came up with that. So then uh, it was what five years later he comes up with the fabulous blondes and starts pushing us to the moon and mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we did a lot. We pretty much I mean we we worked other shows, but pretty much we were 
we were tied to USA Championship Wrestling. Yes. Uh, Before we did anything else, everything got permission out of that office at that right. time because we were, like I said, we were chasing a Puerto Rico dream at the time, and it was becoming more reality as we were conversing a lot with Carlos Colon back then. And yeah, I remember we were talking to him hot and heavy up until that last time, and he said, "Fly ourselves down there." And I think that's where nah. the conversation yeah. lost interest. Right, I'm not flying myself anywhere without a guarantee of getting yeah. out of there. Right. We don't even know if you're going to pay us. And, and that's that's the thing, you know, like with Bert. Bert was running uh, a lot of shows at that time. And so that was where our primary uh, primary bookings were coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and you at the time, we're floating around on the road. That's what we're doing for a living, whether we're making 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 100 bucks, 150, 200, whatever we're making – you know, we were having to hit these shots, yeah. and and that was where our primary bookings. We could usually guarantee uh, at least two or three bookings a week mm-hmm. from Bert, and then you know we were doing other shots in other places yeah. too. And people, I tell you what, they would do anything at one time. You know, not to toot our own horns, but at one time we had a following, and uh, I would we would get double booked on accident, and I would quote a higher price just just to do it because I knew they wouldn't take it and they turn around and take it yeah. because it's us and I guess we were producing at the time and you've got to be able to produce on the fly everywhere you go uh, egos will get you not asked back luckily we didn't have enough ego to to get our cost us any bookings right um, you know that's one thing nowadays not saying we didn't have ego right but, but you just got to have it in the right way we we had in in the for the most part we were respectful to the elders and to the promoters. Yes. What we had a problem with, and and this don't make it right, but what we had a problem with was going to a town and and you know if if somebody's not worked, you know, different shows in different towns on a nightly basis, maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't understand, but. A lot of these towns, they've got their homegrown talent, their home, 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 hometown kids, mm-hmm. and sadly, there's a lot of a lot of these hometown talent who, when outsiders <clears throat> are brought in, they kind of have a jealousy issue. You know, oh, somebody's coming in to take my spot. And, you know, we wasn't trying to take anybody's spot. And that's, that's one of the things that, that I do uh, wish was other than our time with USA mm-hmm. and with C, CWF and TCW, you know, for me, uh, I know once we, once we split up and went our separate ways, you know, you, you found homes in other places, but one of my regrets is is I miss the creativeness and and wish that I I would could stay in a place. Yeah, you know yeah. I I miss the the staying in a place and and doing the angles and coming up with the storylines yeah. and the creative process. At yeah, but at that time we were traveling yeah. so much, you know, different towns. So mm-hmm. there there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of real hard angles with us because you know like with when we were working for bird it might have been two or three times a week but we were running a spot show in a different town that's it might not be getting the tv or it might not be uh 
you know, those fans wouldn't have drove to the town that we were in the night before. So, And in our defense, you know, we lived in a part of area, and I'm not being condescending against shows. You've got your different quality of shows out there and not knocking any of you guys. But to get to a quality show that might have got you somewhere else, you had to drive two hours plus to get anywhere. You either had to go to Nashville from where we were. You had to go down to Atlanta from where we were, mm-hmm. out towards Memphis, you know, the Carolinas. You know, we had to put some hours in and some miles in. But, yeah, you do miss the angles after a while because that's where the emotion comes from that we were right. talking about. That's where, you know, you can sit here and work with guys and know who's got what. And you're just in a town for one night and you might come back in later. You know, you don't really get acquainted with the guys and you're coming in, you know, wrestling whoever. I mean, I remember one time Josh Frost and I, you know, Josh Frost, I know right now he had an incident happen and uh, we're praying for you mm-hmm. also to get better. And I hope God has his way and uh, the people that done it, you know, they get their due diligence one way or another, you know, because that's, uh, I don't, I don't wish anything bad on anybody out there, but. You know, people out, it's a crazy world we live in. But uh, anyways, him and I, you know, we walked into the building one time. These guys were big, and they had matching, you know, camo pants on, and they had uh, some kind of shirt related to their gimmick, like security or sheriff or something, and they were doing some kind of police gimmick. That's what it was. But they were scared (laughs) to death to wrestle Josh Frost and I because they had seen, supposedly they had seen us on TNA. And I was like, okay. Wait a minute. I know Russell Birmingham. I know they're partnering up with TNA, but I don't think they put any material out there. And he was quite convinced he'd seen Frost on TNA. So they didn't want to work us. They just, ah, oh, we don't know. So we had to wrestle each other. I remember that night. And huh. I remember that's the night the rope broke. I remember that was supposedly I was told it was on a botch of mania where Frost was on the second rope and the rope breaks and he just does a face plant. But it showed us slipping and sliding all over the ring because uh, it was that Japanese slick mat and it was already wet. So I hated those things. If it's out there, I hadn't seen it, but I'd like to catch that. If anybody has, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're working for Bert. We're doing and and during this time we start coming down and we're we're tagging for Woody mm-hmm. DSCW too. Uh, now you had been his heavyweight champion previously. But us coming back as the tag team, um, you know, and, and down there we had uh, we had a, a pretty good angle with Johnny Rock and Chip Hazard. Yeah. We had some good matches with them. Uh, yeah, you sent me the video the other day of that uh, last one we had. And, you know, if people ever watched the last few minutes of that video, that could have been used as incriminating evidence against me at one time because I beat up a referee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I didn't beat him up. I just kind of taught a lesson because that was the third match that he had done stuff, and it was always something that caused me not to be able to do something to go over or win, whatever. And, you know, he was counting at my feet, and I remember I had my shoulder up there, and he's still counting. And he had his head down, so I was just like, yeah. he jumps up, 
You know, even Chip said, I think that was two, sir. What's your call? <laughs> three. When he said three, I saw red. And I, <laughs> I did turn, like I told Woody outside, I thought, I turned a fist into a forearm. It just connected with his jaw extremely well, and you see his body jolt. And I, you know, like I said back in the day, I'd probably been proud of something like that. But I'm just like, ah, do I feel bad? Maybe not at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, getting to that because that was uh, that was a big thing for us. Some somehow, some way, and I'm sure we we instigated it and we took pride in it. You know, we, let me put something to bed real quick, though, because I had a guy come up to me, which is a young kid we know. We know his dad real well, and he said, I heard, he was scared to wrestle me one time, and he said, I heard that y'all beat people up that mess up in the ring, and that's not true. No. We didn't just beat somebody up just because they messed up in the ring. Right. Nine times out of ten, it was either a call by somebody else or a problem we had specifically, and they knew about it. We right. just surprised you know, do whatever, try to hurt people. We wasn't about that. That's that's that is exactly right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't recall ever uh, intentionally trying to hurt somebody. And now, giving receipts is one thing, mm-hmm. but but intentionally trying to hurt somebody in the ring just because they messed up. No, uh, you know, we we want to go out there and put on the best match. We want to teach. We want to learn. We want to we want to all grow together. So. Uh, intentionally just trying to hurt somebody because they messed up. No, that was never the case. No. Uh, but, you know, we did get the reputation for for roughing people up, and, you know, there were some promoters who were who were asking us to do that and, you know, kind of having a hit list and this and that. And that at that time, that was something that we took a lot of pride in. Mm-hmm. Now... <clears throat> we were bored. We didn't have nothing else going on. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, now I look back... And I realized that I was young, I was dumb, I was stupid, and my, even though as far as protecting and holding my own and and self-defense, you know, I can hold my own. Mm-hmm. But that's not a source of pride for me anymore. Yeah. You know, it used to, it used to be a source of pride. It used to be, you know, when we would make, when we would go into these towns and, you know, uh, we would have the cocky people come up to us and say, I'm a shooter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the times we'd say, okay, we'll see. Or we'd treat them like a comedian and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but, you know, that was something I took a lot of pride in back then, but now, I look back and I realize, you know, I was not near the tough guy that I thought I was. Yeah. And um and truth to be told, now that, you know, I've been a totally different person for the last eight or nine years, uh by the grace of God, you know, I look back and I can see and I can put it together. And me trying to be such a tough guy, me trying to uh, uh, intimidate people, uh, honestly, that was because I was so insecure with who I truly was on the inside. And that was my way of trying to uh, make myself feel better. You know, it's like like they say, a, a bully. You know, a bully picks on somebody smaller than them to make themselves feel good about themselves. 
and it's because deep down they're insecure. And in a lot of ways, that was my problem, you know. But uh, but no, that's that's not a source of pride anymore. But it was it was for a long time. Well, we were all about uh, pride and respect at one time. If people came up being disrespectful, they automatically went to the top of the list, and yeah. it got handled quickly and abruptly. And without consequence, we didn't care if we were invited back to that town or not. We just did what we wanted to do. And there was really, that's not the way to be. We were probably, like Woody called us one time, the two uh, two of his picks. I can't talk. Two of his picks to make it out of the area at the time. Yeah. And uh, it was just our setbacks are probably what held us back a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, we're... We're working for Bert. We're working for Woody. We're hot and heavy. We're, you know, uh, we're doing we're doing all kinds of stuff. We're we're traveling with Chase. We're learning. We're growing. Character development. Uh, man, the the package is all coming together. Everything's good. But uh, what you mentioned in the in the beginning of the podcast, one of the things that was getting out of control mm-hmm. was our drinking. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, it. Something had a stronghold on us. It knew you and I had both grew up in church, and you know that's the way it can pull us away. I mean, that's why you know the stronghold that the demon I called it because that's what it was. It was pretty much keeping me. I've lost a lot of good time with family and friends that I can't get back because. Mm-hmm. I was out chasing something that I didn't know if it was going to go or not. We were just going on a whim, doing what we wanted to do. I mean, we were more or less looking for the after party, you know, looking forward to that more than we were going to the shows a lot of times. And, you know, we we were in it not for the wrong reasons. We were both passionate about what we did. Mm -hmm. We always have been. Everything's got to be on point or we were unhappy. Uh, But the thing is, whenever pride and all those other parts of the deadlies that come in and influence you, they knew exactly where to get you. And until I did my testimony in church back in 2013, I think it was, I felt like a stronghold was on me, and it was still there until then. And it, like I said, by the grace of God, that's not came back. I yeah. mean, I'm still working on a lot of things. God's working with me daily. I'm having a lot of talks with him. Like I said, it's a blessing. And, and it sometimes it can be, it's what you and Woody talked about, the conviction. Mm-hmm. Whenever... You know, you get stressed out, anxiety, and a lot of people deal with that out in the world, and people deal with it in different ways. Some people have had a lot of incidences happen in their life that they deal with. A lot of people wouldn't understand because they might have a different personality or haven't experienced such, and it's easy for some people to judge off that. Mm-hmm. And I, ch- I tell people all the time, I was like, well, you live a different life. You don't see things how they have. They might have seen something different. We just got to help them any way we can. Yeah. I mean, but trying to... You know, talk down and be condescending, that doesn't get anything done. Well, everybody deals with everything. Stress and anxiety is the number one problem I see and talk to a lot of people and they have. And uh, it's probably been more these years than I've ever, you know, encountered anybody talking about it much. You know, it's happening more and more. Stress mm-hmm. and anxiety. And it's easy to get stressed with nowadays world and how things are. And yeah. uh, it's a scary thing for our children's future. I heard old men back in the... At church, whenever I was a kid, talking about, you know, I fear for what our kids are going to have to deal with. Well, I was one of those kids, and it ain't just that. It's it's what our grandchildren are going through, yeah. what the world is coming to now, 
agendas getting pushed on people. It's a scary world, and all we can do is turn to God because, you know, I've I've got something else that uh, that's been on me. Um, you know, with everything going on in the world now, and what us Christians, you know, people get the wrong view of Christians. They think we're out here acting holier than thou. That's not the truth. We're trying to better ourselves, and it's sometimes, in my case, you know. Uh, growing up in church, I didn't ever get that feeling that everybody was talking about at the time. I heard people talking about having that Holy Spirit. And as a child growing up, you got things of the world hitting you at the time like they do. It's a lot worse now with electronics. Mm-hmm. Like children nowadays, they don't know anything else going on besides what their phone or their computer is telling them. And, uh, you know, they don't get outside in the world anymore. And uh, I tell our kids all the time, no phones. We're walking through a parking lot. Head up. Pay attention to your surroundings. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, um, back in our day, you know, influences came. Like my weakness, the devil used girls for me when I was in church, because I don't know why in the world parents would let girls wear this kind of stuff. But short miniskirts <laughs> in church, my eyes would be on the miniskirt, and I were my mind yeah, distractions. And uh, you know that happened a lot. And worldly distractions, uh, peer pressure influences i've been a victim of every bit of it and you know there's been times where in my mind i wanted to do the right thing and go the right path but here's that influence coming back in and you're the only oddball not doing it so you might as well do it and i fall right back in place and that's one thing you know say nowadays you know i don't do very much nowadays i love the outdoors i love to go hiking and stuff like that of that nature but we can't lose sight of what's important, and nowadays are getting scary, you know. And I know God is real. God has worked in my life, and it's a blessing. You know, like I said, he shows up every evening when I'm having a bad day, if I'm stressed, if I'm anxious, and I'm just ready to explode. And my little girls, Daddy, what about our prayers? Yeah. And I'm right back down where I need to be, and I say, thank you, God. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I can do. Yeah. He he's always there. Even even in those times where we started getting out of control. And, you know, he's he he's never left us and we've tried to run away from him, you know, but but he never leaves us. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And like I said, none of us are perfect, but um when when you're truly born again you'll have that desire it don't mean that you won't slip up that you won't make mistakes but if you ever come to the place of oh well i'm saved so i can do this or i can do that then your wrong motives and and that's not you know the apostle paul said don't use uh, he said you are free in christ you know we have liberty but don't use your liberty. Don't, don't use your freedom as an occasion to sin. You know, a lot of people say, well, I, now I'm saved. I can do whatever I want to, and I, it's, it's covered. It's under the blood. That's the wrong attitude. That's not, <clears throat> that's not what the Bible talks about being a new creation. And so, you know, in, in that, the Lord... Uh, the Lord wants to forgive. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. And he's always waiting with open arms to to accept you back. And 
all you have to do, like we was talking about at the beginning, submit to his will. And that is, uh, I know women too, but, but especially for us men, that's, that's always been the hardest thing, and I'm sure for every man, but for me personally, I can only speak for myself, that was the hardest issue. I'm man. I'm big, prideful, tough guy. My rules, my way or the highway. You know, I'm my life. I'm doing things my way. Uh, and you got to come to the end of yourself, and you've got to come to the place where you realize there's nothing I can do to save or sanctify myself, and there's nothing that I can do um, to please God except for place my faith in who Jesus is and what mm-hmm. he did. And then he will lead you. Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not that hard. It's hard if you continue to try to stay around worldly influences. Uh, you know, And I know you'll remember this. When I first uh, got saved in 2012, there was like almost a year where I left the business Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't hardly talk to anybody. I didn't take any bookings, uh, you know, um, and, but, and I, during that time, I didn't think I was coming back. Uh, but the Lord had to have a time to strengthen me, to teach me and to grow me. And, you know, a lot of times what people will do is they will they will truly want to really give their lives to the Lord but they never change their surroundings mm-hmm. and you know the bible says that bad company corrupts good morals and sometimes not saying that you have to high hat or act holier than thou or anything, but sometimes, you know, you've got to, you've got to distance yourself, yourself from people or things or places that would be a negative influence or that would be something to draw you back. And that's where so many people mess up is they, they they truly earnestly want to give their life to the Lord, but then they go right back into the same surroundings, and that that just pulls them right back. And that was one of the things that I was terrified of when the Lord told me that I could come back to wrestling. And that was like sometime in 2013, but it was like almost a year, nine months to a year, and. I was terrified to come back because I was afraid that I was going to get pulled back. Mm-hmm. But once I once I did, uh, you know, it it has been a blessing to get back around uh, my friends and to to be able to share Jesus in the locker rooms, to be able to answer people's questions. So, you know, you've just got to you've just got to come to the place where you come to the end of yourself. You trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and you just let the Lord mold you, and he will do the work in you, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's what everybody needs to understand. Yeah, it's true. I know the devil, he works hard on you, uh, and, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was, uh, you know, real strong with me at one point, and I let world influence outside guy that I worked with every day 
was having an extremely bad day, rubbed off on me, and I let the world succumb to me more times than I could count. And, you know, not having the Holy Spirit like I did before, you know, that's a scary thing because, you know, I, I want that back. You know, I want what I had before. And, you know, you let worldly things get to you out here. It's easily to get influenced. That's a big thing I was talking about earlier. And, you know, yeah, becoming a Christian doesn't mean you have to stop fun things. I mean, if going out, riding four-wheelers with old buddies, that don't mean you got to do the same things they do. Mm -hmm. Get out, have fun. That doesn't mean it, it becomes boring. I've heard that more times than I could count people saying, ah, oh, that just seems kind of boring. you got to stop doing everything. That's not true. No. No, but, you know, if... The Lord has a plan for each and every one of us. And, you know, like I, like I told people with me, uh, during that period where I had, you know, taken some time off after I got saved, you know, I would have people ask me about it. And I was, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing as far as, you know, whether I'm coming back, mm -hmm. taking bookings. But, but anybody that called with a booking, I was like, I can't right now. Yeah. You know. Uh, I was on fire for God. I had a desire to learn and grow. And I was terrified for a while that I would get back around that influence and be pulled back. And It is everywhere. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that part. Saying that we're not saying everybody in wrestling is a bunch of evil people, but it's influence, you know. And, and it's not just wrestling. Not. I mean, it can be, you know, friends on yeah. people that's but not even involved. A test because you get around them old buddies, got them same tongues that they had before, and, you know, it's easily sometimes to slip up if you're not careful and watch what you're doing or get back into a mold that you don't necessarily want to get in that you, you know, worked so hard to get out of. Well, and two, you go back to our situation. Uh, we had such a reputation that we took so much pride in of being tough guys. Okay, when I when I come back, old tender-hearted Casey Cage, and a totally different critter than what I what I was before, uh, you know, there was a lot of people. I remember a lot of people like, oh, look, Casey's got this new gimmick. He's gonna be some kind of evangelist or some kind of preacher. He's got this Christian gimmick, mm -hmm. you know. And and everybody was waiting for me to fail. Everybody was waiting for it for for me to you know for it to just vanish away. But you know. You're an influence, like I said, you know, you're a positive influence and have been on my life as a friend and brother for many years, and just watching you grow in Christ, you know, that's an influence in itself, and I've told you more times, hey, I want what you've got, because, you know, I, there was a sermon the other day that I heard somebody say something about that and remind me, I was, I've told my brother that many times, <laughs> because he's an influence, and that's what people that. looked up to you for all the other reasons, and seeing you around, you worked on a lot of people, I've heard people talk you know, completely different. It's like, man, seeing him like that, that's a, in a, a you know, influence. And all I can say is I'm praying for you because without prayer and without the Lord behind it, you know, everything falls flat. Mm -hmm. Little as much when God is in it, as the song says. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, anybody can have what I have. The relationship with the Lord, It's it's just... It's all in coming to the end of yourself and just trusting him. And like I said, that's a big thing that's hard for a lot of us, especially men, especially us who are prideful, especially us who, 
you know, have had tough guy reputations or want to think that we're big tough guys. But I'll tell you this, something that made me realize uh, I, I'm, I could never be as tough as Jesus was, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And when I look at that, I'm like, I'm not so tough at all. No. You know. Because that movie, any movie that's ever depicted that scene is nothing compared to what he went through mm-hmm. that day for all of us. And I know good, good and well I couldn't have done that. I yeah. mean, we would have succumbed a long time ago. But his will to push through and God allowing that to happen. He gave his son for the world. And, it, you know, he's out there, folks. He's still out there for us. And all we got to do is reach out to him. Because without him, there's nothing. I mean, it, there's so much out there going on in the world now that, you know, I, like I said, Christians are... Like even the Bible talks about, Christians are getting ridiculed, Mm -hmm. and it's been happening in every country, and it's going to get worse, and us as Christians, uh, we've got to tighten up, that's for sure, because without God, I don't know what's going to happen in this country, and one thing that scares me is our new leaders in power haven't mentioned God not once, Mm. and everything against him seems like that's what they're putting forth. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of evil going on, but, you know... That's what uh, that's what the Lord said would happen, these things, in the last days. And uh, it's just all, it, it's so funny to me. I'll look and I'll see, see you know, studies come out on the news or, or this article or that article, and they're like, this and this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, if you would just pick up a Bible, uh, you would know. You know, and it, it's so funny to see that the more they try to disprove God, the more they prove God. But anyway. Well, Nostradamus, you know, he was a prophet. We don't know if he was sent by God or what. You know, they don't tell you that. All they know is, you know, we had the prophets that helped write the Bible. And then Nostradamus was, I don't know what century or whatever he lived in. But things, you know, that he had talked about. Two twins in the city of Newark would fall. Then New York Twin Towers fell. And then now uh, he predicted Hitler, uh, but it was Hitler with an S at the time. And then, then he said a feeble man and a Jezebel are become rulers of a nation. And they will fail. And the eagle will fall. Eagle being the United States, you know. It's kind of a scary thing. I don't know. You know? I, I don't I've never believe. studied into any of that, but... Yeah, I don't put much iron in stuff, but you never know. It is coincidental on a lot of stuff. You know, the guy wasn't wrong twice, so let's just hope for our sake. You know, we're out of here before that happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, got anything else that we want to cover before? I mean, and like I... Mean, I there's like, nothing I don't think two hours could ever cover no. enough stories that we've got. We'll probably have to do this again another time, I and mean, then that way continue on. But, yeah, there's so much we've left off the table and so much to talk about and catch up on time but uh like i said no matter the time or distance you know you've always been a good brother and influence and i thank you and i thank you for being the man you are in god today and an influence to me and you know i need those influences in life i had a cousin you know in time when we were younger you know uh, my uncle being a preacher and you know reading our bible every morning before we go to or after we wake up reading it before we go to bed and that was probably the best feeling I ever had in the world. And it's not just about feeling. It's about the Holy Spirit working on me, exactly what that feeling was. I know a lot of people talk about feelings, but that's that Holy Spirit. You'll know it when you got it. Mm-hmm. That's, well, 
I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I never wanted to be somebody who just beat people over the head with a Bible. No. You know, in 99.9% of cases, uh, as far as locker rooms go, people would come up and ask me questions, you know. And, you know, I was able to share Jesus with people. I was able to uh, um, pray with people, able, uh, you know, able to lead people um, to the Lord and everything. And, and so that's that's great. And it's it that was always one thing for me was there was a time in my life that I influenced so many people uh, in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that includes my brothers, you, JP, Chris, uh, Jay and everybody else that was that we were tight with, you know, I there was a time where I influenced people in the wrong direction, but I am thankful that that the Lord allowed me to come back and now I can influence people in a different direction, mm -hmm. you know, and so so it is a blessing to be able to have that opportunity to do that and. Some will listen, and some will refuse, and that's okay. I love them anyway. They're still my friends, and you know, but it is it is a blessing to be able to to be different, and uh, and so you know, it's it's like this podcast. I've enjoyed the last few weeks sitting down with my buddies and having these conversations, reliving old memories. Uh, and just, I mean, it, it it brings back a a fire mm -hmm. that I used to have that, uh, as far as the business goes, that I've not had in a long time. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I am enjoying this, and I just, I'm, I'm excited to see what the Lord has next. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed the podcast. You know, they're, they're good and interesting to hear about people. Like I said, we... Uh, you know, rode around with, but didn't know anything a lot about. Yeah. You know? And uh, one thing I got to say to good old Johnny Rock out there, Johnny, you know, he mentioned the old famous knee bump. <laughs> Greg, you weren't giving me the RKO, but I got to say, Johnny, I got to go buy you a suit too small. See, I, when I bought these suits, I probably weighed about 30 or 40 pounds less than what I did at this yeah. time. I never dreamed in a million years I was going to be handpicked that night. I knew we were picked on Monday for Raw, but on SmackDown, I get picked to go out there, and I get to take the RKO, okay? So here I am wearing this suit, and I was like, I hope this suit holds up, which it did not. <laughs> here I am in a tight suit, tight pants, everything. I'm going to take the RKO. I'm going in, and I remember getting pulled straight. Orton's forearm caught me right in the nose. Bam! But he hooked me just right. Bam! Down we went. And I remember I had no choice but boom down. Because if I'd have probably dropped all the way down, my pants would have ripped. And yes. <laughs> I've been remembered for other, other things. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun time. But, yeah, Johnny, I remember that knee bump. And i got to say, uh, <laughs> that 4th of July match you were talking about the other day gave me goosebumps. Just you, the way you were describing it and how the entrance music hit and the fireworks after. And that was some of the best times, yeah. too, also, a singles match. We had some we had some great times in Graysville, in Benton, and in Cleveland doing those in Dayton yeah. doing those shots CWF TCW, uh, and and one thing that I think I'm going to do soon is try to get as many of us together and do like a like a CWF TCW roundtable. Yeah, 
because my lord the stories that we could tell the fun yeah. times and there's so much time we've left off the table we didn't get to mention our old good friend woody dscw the good old yeah. days we didn't get to mention that very much but that was some fun times for yeah. us too that was towards our end i believe it was as far as teaming and we started feuding at that yeah. point <laughs> yeah no that was that was some fun stuff too so we've we've still got a lot more that we could talk about but that'll be in the future and uh we just thank everybody for joining us. You've been listening to Wrestling for the Faith with Casey Cage. We encourage you to subscribe and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.